Are you thirsty for what God has and how He wants to pour Himself into our lives and fill us with the good stuff of who He is and what He wants to do among us and in us? If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, book of Matthew, chapter 5. In the ancient Palestinian world out of which the New Testament emerged, folks were never very far away from literally experienced dehydration and starvation. A water, as we experience it, just going to a faucet and turning it on or buying a water bottle or bottles at the store was unheard of. Trying to find fresh drinking water was always a challenge for people in that uh, day and age. And then food could often be very difficult to come by, particularly if you didn't have much money, which most of the folks in those days days didn't. So when Jesus talks here about being hungry and thirsty, they would have understood what he was talking about. In fact, many of them went around with a gnawing sense of hunger down on the inside all of the time. Now, we tend to walk around with a gnawing sense of, I ate too much, but they had the exact opposite. They walked around with a gnawing sense of, I didn't have enough to eat. And so they had that sense of starvation sort of always lurking around at them. And so Jesus begins to teach and to bring what we call the Sermon on the Mount here, literally on the side of a mountain. His disciples have come to listen as well as a great crowd. And he begins to teach them, and we've been moving through what are called the Beatitudes, which are called so because the word Beatitude means blessing. And so how can we know and walk in the blessings of God? And your sermon outlined this morning is in on the backside of the bulletin that you were given when you came in. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain and he sat down and his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, blessed are those who are humble. Blessed are those who mourn, that is, mourn over their sin, separation from God, for they will be comforted, forgiven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then the passage we're going to look at today Blessed are those, those who will know the blessing and the favor of God, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, what is righteousness? What is righteousness? You don't have to hang around church very long to hear the word righteousness. I remember as a kid growing up, it looked like the word righteousness was sprinkled through sermons. It was in about every other hymn. People talked about being righteous and righteousness, and I could never figure out what in the world righteousness was. Righteousness is sort of like, you know, apple pie. Everybody's in favor, but we don't really know what all the ingredients are sometimes to put it together. So what is righteousness? Because a lot of times if we don't understand the concept of righteousness, it's easy to say, well, that sounds good, and yeah, everybody ought to... Be righteous and go after righteousness and amen and then go home and you know, eat some fried chicken this afternoon, potato salad, and forget about it. What in the world is this righteousness that is sprinkled all through the Scriptures? Well, there are several ideas, three basic ideas that come together in this concept of righteousness. First of all, righteousness is whatever conforms to the revealed will of God. Righteousness in the Word of God in the Scriptures is whatever conforms to the revealed Word of God. Let me sort of illustrate it this way. When you leave here today, you're going to go out and get in your cars and you're going to drive home. Now, as you drive home or to restaurants or wherever you're going... 
You are not going to drive out of this lot just driving any way that you want to, going any speed that you want to go out, driving on whatever lane you want to drive on, just doing it any other way you want to. If you decide you're going to do that, the Rocky Mount Police Department and the Franklin County Sheriff's Department will be so glad to accommodate you with a ticket for just doing your own thing. There are traffic guidelines. There are, there's a traffic standard as to which side of the road you're on. There's a two yellow lines down the middle of the road that tell you you better stay on your side of the yellow lines. There are signs all over the place that are constantly telling us in traffic, this is how fast you can go. This is how slow you're supposed to go. This is the side of the street you're supposed to be on, etc., etc. There is a standard that you and I have to conform to. And if we don't conform to it, we're going to pay a penalty. That is the idea here of God's rules and God's laws. It's His revealed will, and we have to choose to conform to that, and if we don't conform to His revealed will, then we are unrighteous, and if we are conforming to His will, we are conforming to His righteousness. Now, where do we find that? We find His standard in His Word, and in specifically in His Word, you will find it in Exodus chapter 20, known as the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Thoughts or Ten Suggestions, but the Ten Commandments. And then second, you will find it revealed in what we're looking at today, this sermon Jesus brought, contained in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. You will find the application of Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments in the book of Proverbs. I cannot stress how enough how apropos the book of Proverbs is into helping us know how to live according to God's standard. So we conform to His standard, but His standard is not just a conformity in the sense that, man, these are all these rules and I've got to obey them. Now, I'm going to confess to you that when I go out and drive, I don't always want to conform to the standards, particularly when the standard is a speed limit. Uh, if I'm in a rush to get somewhere or whatever, I don't like conforming to the standard. In other words, I'm conforming on the outward side because I'm scared I'm going to get a ticket. But on the inside of me, it's a whole different story. I don't want to conform. And this idea here of seeking and hungry and thirsting for righteousness is not the idea that I just conform because I'm scared that God's going to nuke me if I don't conform. It is rather the idea that my motives and my desires and who I am on the inside wants to conform to the will of God and to His standards. I want to do. When Jesus talks here about hungry and thirsting, it's because I want to conform my life to God's standard. And even when I don't want to obey, I want to please Him, and my desire to please Him overrides my desire to be disobedient to Him. You see the difference there? I, when I want to disobey, my desire to please Him and walk closer to Him, that hungry and thirsting after Him overrides my desire to be disobedient and to do what's wrong. And so that's the idea. It speaks to motives. So first of all is conformity to His standard. That's righteousness. Second, righteousness in Scripture has to do with deliverance. It is the idea that I am delivered from sin and I am delivered to the Lord Jesus Christ. I am delivered from the
the bondage of sin, the desire for sin, the practice of sin, all that separates me from God. But I'm not just delivered from, I'm delivered to it. I am delivered from the arms of sin and the embrace of sin and my fascination with sin into the arms of Jesus, the embrace of Jesus, and the worship and fascination with the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's that idea of deliverance. And so when Jesus says, I want you to hunger and thirst after righteousness, what Jesus is saying is, I want you to hunger and thirst to be delivered from the power of sin, from the power of the shame and the guilt and the bondage of sin. And I want you to hunger and thirst for the freedom of being delivered into my arms and into walking with me and knowing me. And then third, it is the idea, righteousness is the idea of having a desire for the Lord Jesus Christ. A growing thirst and hunger to know Jesus and probe into who He is and to love Jesus and to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 6 and verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now notice how Jesus in that verse is addressing directly the ideas of thirsting and hungry. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now I want you to look at two key verbs in that sentence. Whoever, first verb, comes to me, and the second verb in the next sentence, whoever believes in me, whoever comes to me, and whoever believes in me. Now, the way we tend, if we're not careful, to interpret that verse is that whoever comes to me in salvation and walks the aisle and trusts Jesus as their Savior and gets baptized is not going to hunger. And whoever believes, again, walks the aisle, trusts Christ as their Savior, gets baptized, will never thirst again. And so we've got the coming and the believing happening at the altar, and the result of that is we come to Christ and we get baptized. The problem with that interpretation of it is that it is nice, but that's just the beginning. Now, let me give you, and if, if I get complicated on this, just stick your tongue out at me, all right, and I'll know that I need to back up a little bit. Those two verbs, comes and believes, in the Greek language are what we call present participles, and that is they act as sort of a sentence to themselves, but the key thing is they are present, which this is the way it, what Jesus is saying. Whoever comes to me and keeps on coming to me, and whoever believes in me and keeps on believing in me will never thirst again. What Jesus is saying is that you got to keep coming. This coming is not just confined to one day and one experience and one moment in a church. This is coming that I do every day. Just like the disciples came to him on this day and he taught them, we got to get up every day with the mindset that I'm coming to Jesus, that I'm following him today, that I'm going to be close to him today as much as the day I came to him in the first place. Believing, it means that I'm going to trust him and I'm going to walk with him and I'm going to follow him. And I'm going to follow his value system, not just on one day when I come to Christ, but every day. You see, the reason so many believers are walking around and they knew Jesus, they could tell you the day they came to Christ. They could tell you and point to when they got baptized. They can tell you when they prayed to receive Christ. But they're still hungry and thirsty for sin instead of being hungry and thirsty for Jesus. And the thirst for Jesus isn't where it ought to be. Is They thought it all got done on one day. 
They'll talk about, I came to Jesus 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. But they haven't really gone anywhere with Jesus since then. Or it's been a long time since they went anywhere with Jesus. Because we think, well, it all happened on one day and I'm good to go. Until that pie in the sky in the sweet by and by comes along. Until then, I'm good to go. And what Jesus is saying here is, no, you got to come constantly. you got to believe constantly. you got to trust me constantly. This is a daily walk with me. That's that desire for Jesus. You see, so often when we first come to Christ, we want the whole meal. Man, Jesus, I want everything you got for me. And then down the road, all we are satisfied with is the appetizer. I just get the appetizer at the beginning, and I don't really want the rest of the meal. And the idea of Jesus is, is I don't want to give you a daily appetizer or a Sunday appetizer. I want to be giving you the whole meal of who I am every day. And it's there for you every day. You just got to hunger and thirst for it. Now, we got a problem, though, with all of this. Jesus says, I want you to hunger and thirst after righteousness. I want you to thirst for my standard, for my law, for my guidelines. I want to deliver you from sin, deliver you to myself. I want you to have this growing desire for me. But most of us, if we're really honest, desire the bad stuff. I mean, after we even we come to Christ, we struggle with wanting the bad stuff. And the Apostle Paul talked just about that in John's, excuse me, the book of Romans chapter 7. Book of Romans chapter 7, beginning with verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. The temptation is right there. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul is basically saying here, I'm going crazy. I want to serve the Lord. I want to walk with the Lord. But every time I start trying to walk with the Lord and serve the Lord, something inside of me yanks and pulls me in the other direction. There's a war going on inside of me. And one part of it wants to pull to God, and the other part of me wants to pull towards sin. And I wrestle with this, he says, every day. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of us can identify with what Paul is saying here? Half of us wants to serve the Lord, half of us doesn't. Some days it's like 95% of us doesn't want to serve the Lord, and 5% does. And I, you know, I've always gotten frustrated with people that I hear these wonderful testimonies. You know, oh, I just love Jesus every day, and I want to serve the Lord every day, and do all this great stuff for the Lord every day. And I just sit back and I listen to that and think, man, I wish that was me. I wish I could say that, but I don't feel that way. I got this battle going on inside of me, etc. And it makes me soulless to know Paul says that I got this, that battle's going on inside of him. But what does he say in the next verse here? He says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now Paul is saying there, I've got the victory. I've got the victory. That doesn't mean that the battle hasn't ended. My mind's telling me one thing, my flesh. My body's telling me something else. My mind wants to go to Jesus. My flesh wants to go run, serve the devil, and sin as much as I can. So what am I going to do? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our key word there, our Lord. 
as long as I am intentionally, strategically, constantly looking to Jesus as my Lord, He runs the show, He calls the shots, He's the one that I'm running after, then I'm going to have victory. When He's not Lord, I am in trouble. So, we struggle with that. But we got to stay with it, and we got to stay after it if we're going to follow Him. Now, how do we do that? Why does God give us His law? He gives us His law for several reasons. Number one, to protect us like the traffic laws do. He gives us that standard to protect us. Second, He gives us His rules, His law. He gives us His word. He gives us that standard of righteousness in order for us to understand how life works. He designed life. He knows how life works. Someone has well said, we don't break God's law. We only break ourselves against God's law. And finally, he gives us his directions and his law in order to teach us and to show us how to have a relationship with him. Every healthy, growing relationship in our lives has to have guidelines. Those of you that are married, when you stand and you take your marriage vows... What are the marriage vows? They're standards for the marriage. They're guidelines for the marriage in sickness and in health. For better or for worse, what are we describing? We're describing a standard. We're describing guidelines. And if we stay in those guidelines and we live out those guidelines and those standards in a marriage, the marriage is going to be functional and it's going to work. If we start blowing off the guidelines, what happens? The marriage begins to collapse. Same thing in our relationship with the Lord. If we follow His guidelines, we're going to be okay. If we don't follow His guidelines, live by His standards, we're going to be in trouble. Now, I have a bad habit that I've had since my childhood, and that is that I absolutely despise reading directions. Does anybody else in here have that deal? You just hate reading directions to anything, okay? My grandfather hated reading directions, and my grandfather and I used to joke all the time we were going to go home and torture ourselves by reading directions. I just hate reading directions. Well, we got a new Black & Decker electric knife cutter, whatever you want to call it, in the church office. I mean, in the church kitchen. I hope we didn't get in the church office. Got it in the kitchen there, all right? And this thing has got all you could ask for with the uh, knives here. Now, I'm not going to try to put this thing together in front of you and operate it because I haven't read the directions yet, all right? But this, this electric knife can do wonderful things. And we've seen it do some wonderful things in the church kitchen before dinner. But if you're going to use it correctly, you've got to read the directions. Now, I don't like reading directions. And my natural inclination, if I use this electric knife, is going to be to stick these deals in here the way I think they should be stuck in here. And then to plug this thing on and to begin to operate it the way that I think it should be operated. And then to start applying it to the meat or whatever in the way that I think it should be. Because that's so fast, that's so quicker. And I am a man. And men do not need to read directions. We know ahead of time how this stuff is supposed to operate. We were gifted by God when we were born to know how these things were supposed to operate. And we usually inform our wives on a regular basis that we were gifted and called by God to know how to do these things and we don't need directions. Now, if I do that, there's a good chance 
that blood is going to begin to fly all over the place. And Lord only knows what I'm a cook. You know, I'm trying to cut. It's probably going to look like it's been shredded and everything else by the time I get through with it. And I will end up angry and mad, potentially in the emergency room uh, with a big mess left because I did not want to bother to read the directions. And folks, let me tell you, that device can do great things and at the same time, if it's not handled correctly, it can tear me to pieces. This contains the directions for how to live life. And when we think that we don't need the directions, what could get us through life well? We take matters into our own hands. And the reason so many people today are in psychological, emotional, nurse, excuse me, emergency rooms is because they are ignoring the directions for life. Some of them even do end up in emergency rooms because they're ignoring the directions for life. And that's why Jesus said, I want you to hunger and thirst after righteousness because you got the directions. You just need to have a hunger and thirst to use the directions. How do we get after that hunger and thirsting? Because the idea there is yearning for God's acceptance and approval like a child yearns for the acceptance and approval of a parent. Well, let me share with you, we're not going to hunger and thirst for his righteousness on our own. We already saw that in the book of Romans. We hunger and thirst in the opposite direction. So how do we get after this? The Lord knew that we would not hunger and thirst for him on our own. And that's the reason when you and I came to Jesus without us asking for it, realizing what God was doing, even not understanding what God was doing and all the ramifications of it, when you and I come to Jesus, He places the Holy Spirit inside of us. And it is the purpose, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to cause us to hunger and thirst for this righteousness. To want this relationship with Jesus and to facilitate it. So don't give up. Don't give up and don't try to do it on your own. Say, Lord, I want to walk and I want to live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit because it is in the fullness of the Holy Spirit that I will begin to hunger and thirst after you. Let me just go over some of the things that the Holy Spirit of God is going to do in your life, and it's contained in your message outline. First of all, when you get into the Word of God, the Holy Spirit will teach you. So many people say, well, I don't understand the Bible. A good study Bible will help you out tremendously. But listen, the Holy Spirit is going to be your teacher when you get in the Word of God. Just get into His Word and allow the Spirit of God to teach you from His Word. Secondly, in prayer, the Holy Spirit will guide you in prayer. The Holy Spirit will pray through you, and the Holy Spirit will pray with you, and the Holy Spirit will pray on your behalf. Paul talks about this in the book of Romans. It's hard for me to explain how this works because there's a mystery to it, but let me just encourage you to jump in and find out what the Spirit of God will do in you and through you. But the Spirit of God will begin to take you in your prayer life, and you'll say, how in the world can I pray? And this is going to be boring and going to take forever. I don't get anything out of this. Listen, that's just the devil talking to you. Allow the Holy Spirit to begin to guide you in your prayer life. The Lord will begin to direct your mind as to what to pray about. The Holy Spirit will begin to pray through you. He will begin to pray alongside of you. He will pray on your behalf. When you don't know how to pray, you just trust the Lord. He says he'll do that with moanings and groanings which cannot be uttered. There is this huge 
reservoir of accessibility to the work of the Spirit of God that so often we don't tap into in prayer. Allow the Spirit to guide you in prayer. Next, find out where God wants to use you and just jump into it. Find out where God wants to use you and just jump into it. You say, well, how do I find that place? The Spirit of God will guide you. The Spirit of God will give you the desire to serve Him in that particular area. The Spirit of God will give you the gifts and the abilities that you need to serve Him in that area. Find God's place and jump into it. Ask the Spirit of God to show you. Next, get at least one or more godly mentors. I cannot stress that enough. Get around one or two mentors. These are people who walk with Jesus longer than you have, who are on fire for the God. Get around them. Spend time with them. The fire in them will set a fire off inside of you. The desire that you have to serve Christ will be flamed up by being around them. So find some folks who are on fire for Jesus, who are walking closely with Jesus, and spend time with those folks and hang out with those folks and let it sort of bleed over into your life. You remember the old hot poker we used to have in fireplaces? How do you get that thing hot? You stick it into the coals and let it start getting hot. Put your life in amongst people who are on fire for the Lord Jesus and walking with Him and serving Him, and that will fire. You see, the problem is when we just spend all of our time poking ourselves into people who don't want to serve Jesus and don't walk with Jesus, they just throw cold water all over the desire to serve Christ. Get around some people who are on fire for Jesus, who want to serve Jesus. Let them be your mentors. And the Spirit of God will provide those kind of folks if you go looking for them. And then finally... Let the Spirit of God empower your worship. Let the Spirit of God empower your worship. In other words, open your heart and your mind and say, Lord, when I worship you, whether it's here at church or whether it's in, uh, when I'm by myself, whatever, I'm asking you to empower my worship and to move through me as I worship and to teach me how to worship and to take me to where you want to in the process and the place of worship. And He will do that. Just be open and let Him do it however He wants to do it. But the Spirit of God will empower your worship. Now notice Jesus' promise. He says, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they will be satisfied. What's it mean to be satisfied? First of all, it means if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you don't have to live with regrets. Two, you will know the satisfaction of being used of God. Three, you're going to have a deep inner peace. A deep inner peace. I know I'm living God's will. I know I'm living out the purpose of God for my life. A deep inner peace. NFL tight end Benjamin Watson lives with this thirst for God. And he shares how you can begin the journey of hungering and thirsting for a relationship with the Lord and what that will mean to our lives. For many of you, 
You feel like there's something else going on in your heart. It's a tug, a pull, maybe even a rumbling. I believe this feeling is God drawing you close to him, inviting you into a relationship with him, a relationship of following him and of experience of forgiveness that only he can offer. God made you and he loves you. He's real and he wants you to personally experience his love and discover the purpose of your life through relationship with him. The problem is that we can't experience God's love when we ignore him. That makes sense, right? People search everywhere else for meaning and fulfillment, but they don't trust God and they ignore his ways. The Bible calls this sin. And make no mistake, everyone has sin and is born into sin. Sin damages your relationships with other people and with God. As hard as this may be to hear, I need to tell you the truth. The result of ignoring God, the result of sin, is that you are eternally separated from God in the life he planned for you. But here's the great news. Your sin does not stop God from loving you. And because of God's great love, he became a human being in Jesus Christ and he gave his life for you. At the cross, Jesus took your place and mine and he paid the penalty of death that we deserve for our sin. Jesus died, but he rose to life again and Christ alone offers you peace with God and a personal relationship with him. God has done everything to show you how much he loves you. If you die for someone who might ignore you and refuse to love you in return, that's true sacrificial love. And that's exactly what the cross is all about. By trusting in Jesus Christ, he offers you the free gift of eternal life through a relationship with him. To begin, you must first admit you're a sinner. Secondly, you must receive God's forgiveness and you must turn away. You must repent, turn away from your sin. So the most important question any human will ever answer is this. Will you place your trust in Jesus and receive the free gift of eternal life? If your answer is yes, then you can receive the free gift of eternal life right now, no matter where you are, by faith, through prayer. Prayer is simply talking with God. He knows your heart. He's not concerned about your words as much as he is the attitude of your heart. If you're ready to respond right now to that tug, to that pull, to that rumbling, then pray something like this with me. Dear God, thank you for loving me, for creating me, for wanting the best for my life. I've lived my life for myself and done things my way. I'm truly sorry. Jesus, I believe that you are God that you've forgiven all my sins by dying on the cross and by coming back to life. I trust you. I ask you to be Lord of my life. I will follow you. I will surrender my life to you. You are my God. You are my Savior and my Lord. Let me experience your love and your good plans for my life and give me the strength to walk in your ways, not mine. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you that you have invited us to hunger and to thirst for you. And now, Jesus, we want to respond to you. We want to ask that the Spirit of God would create and foster and grow within us a hunger and a thirst and a desire for you. And, Father, we also want to pray that, Jesus, we would walk closely with you and seek after you. 
And as we bow here in prayer, and those of you that are, have been joining us through Facebook, we want to invite you this morning that if you prayed that prayer or want more information about it, let us know so that we can respond to you, that prayer that, that Benjamin led us in just a moment ago, to begin that journey of following and walking with Jesus. And if you're here in our, our worship center, we want to ask you in just a moment as we sing it, if you've trusted Christ to come, we'd love to pray with you. If you need a closer walk with Jesus, we'd love to pray with you. If you sense God's leading you to become part of our church family, we invite you to come. Lord, help us in these moments to hunger and thirst for whatever you want to do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, come if you will.